Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Acts chapter 3, we read together from verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago, through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. 
He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Fred, thank you very much. Uh, Do please keep your Bibles open. And uh, with the Bible open, let me pray for us now. Our Father, we've uh, sung that you, God, have spoken by the prophets. You've spoken by Christ Jesus. You've spoken by the Word incarnate. And we have sung that you, God, are speaking by your Spirit. And it is only because of that truth that we uh, have any reason to open your word and think about it now. Please rescue us from simply listening as if listening to a man's voice. May we rather listen as if listening to you, our God. And as we do indeed hear you speaking, help us to be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We uh, live in a broken world. We've already had that reflected in our prayers. Uh, You don't need me to tell you that. You don't need to have picked it up from the prayers. Just look at the news headlines. Uh, Just uh, this week in Sheffield, just three miles away in Gleadless Valley, almost on the doorstep of our church plant there, the fatal stabbing of 22-year-old Leanne Mahaki on Tuesday was followed by an unrelated attack on Wednesday night that left a female police officer needing surgery. Further afield, the national headlines have been dominated by the leaking of what we now call the Panama Papers, and as a result, dodgy tax avoidance has been the talk of Westminster during this week. So much so now that Europe-wide countries are cooperating to crack, crack down on tax evasion. We don't want to see the rich getting richer while not contributing to the needs of their nation. This whole affair has raised questions of inequality and selfish greed. The world's broken. Domestically, as we watch the collapse of the British steel industry in Port Talbot, we're, we're faced with the prospect of mass unemployment having an impact on, the, on a whole town in South Wales. Many are fearful for their future, not just those who are going to lose their jobs potentially, but all the rest who, who kind of uh, depend on those who have jobs spending money in and around that town. We've uh, prayed about the dreadful situation that has uh, happened in uh, Ecuador, this earthquake this week. I could go on and on with examples, but you know the news headlines as well as I do. You know the truth of it. Our world is broken. What is the answer to this broken world? Of course, the world itself looks to all sorts of solutions, to political solutions, to technological advances, to medical science, to social aid or economic strategy or educating the masses. Many of these issues are going to be the issues at the heart of the debate when it comes to the EU referendum. If you're bored with that already, get ready to be more bored. It's an important issue, though. We need to be listening in. The world is desperately looking for solutions to all those big issues, global terrorism and global warming and global poverty. But the world doesn't have an answer. And we won't find the answer in politics or science or military strategy. Listen to the words of David Gooding. What use to a young mother of 33 suffering from terminal cancer is the promise of a new social and political era in the future? Now don't mishear me. The issues of politics and technological advancement and homeland security are all important and it's good to have Christians involved in those things right at the heart of them but they don't solve the problem. Because they can't solve the problem that is at the heart of every problem. We live in a broken world. None of these other things fix it. 
Now, as Christians, we need to have real clarity on this issue if we're going to be true to the gospel and going to be faithful to what Jesus Christ actually mainly is about. We need to have a a clarity about the real problem and the gospel answer to the real problem if we're going to make wise decisions on where to put our energies, what to invest in, where our emphasis in life should be. And here in Acts chapter 3, I think we get real clarity. In chapter 1, the chapter begins in, in chapter 3, the chapter begins in verse 1 with Peter and John arriving in the temple in Jerusalem at 3 in the afternoon. They'd gone there to pray, do you see? But before they arrived, verse 2, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So in verse 2, we meet a man unable to walk from birth. Just imagine that the struggle and the anguish of living your whole life without ever being able to walk. Will you for a moment imagine your way into the pain of that dreadful situation? The pain would have begun for his parents in the early days of his life. There all the other new mums putting pictures on Facebook and Instagram of when their little ones started to crawl and then, and then stand and then, then take their first toddling tentative steps. And every time his parents saw those other little ones who were at the same stage as their little boy, they must have wondered, why isn't he doing all these things yet? Don't worry, they were told, he's just a slow starter. And then as the months went by, the reality began to hit them. He wasn't a slow developer. He was never going to walk. Imagine the pain of that. And then try to feel your way into this man's existence and into a life of never walking. As he grew up, he became increasingly aware that he was different from all the other kids. Couldn't play football with his mates. When it was PE time, he'd be left in the, in the classroom drawing a picture while the, all, all the others went out in the field. That was just the beginning of it. He would never run down a hill and feel the cool breeze on his face. He'd never experienced that brilliant feeling of hitting a running cross-court forehand winner on the tennis court. I've never experienced that either. (laughs) His body was broken. And here's the thing. In this man, we have a picture of the whole world. In him, in his body, we're given a micro picture of the brokenness of the whole universe. Not quite working as it should full of frustration and so in this man we're confronted with the great problem of living in a broken world and with the great problem of suffering here's a man who all the time had to suffer had to rely on others if not for everything for so much in his life he can't find work so he's used he's reduced to the degrading task of begging every day in verse two He can't even get to the place where he'll beg without relying on other people to carry him there, verse 2. It's all wrong. So as we look at this man, we ask huge questions, questions about life. We know this isn't how it's supposed to be. And then just look where all this takes place. Verse 2, it happened at the temple gate at a place called Beautiful. Well, it wasn't beautiful for this crippled man. It was degrading and demeaning and depressing. And that is the enigma of living in this world. There are things in this world that are stunningly beautiful. You can't see it, but I can. Just look out at creation. 
Oh, consider the beautiful acts of love and kindness that we're capable of. We live in a beautiful world. But as we marvel at the beauty, we can't escape that so much of this world is extremely ugly. Beautiful yet broken. That's what we see in verse 2. And the location of this event raises even more questions. This was at the gate of the temple, the gate of the house of the Lord. And so it begs the question, why, if there's an all-loving and all-powerful creator, why do people suffer like this man? And what is the creator God going to do about this broken world? Verse 2 raises tons of questions. So where were we? Peter and John had gone to the temple to pray and as they passed this crippled beggar on their way into the temple, verse three, you can just imagine him rattling his tin and asking for money. And verse four, Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I don't have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Instantly, this was a miracle. He never walked in his life. Health professionals here, I know there are many of you. You can explain to us that this was remarkable. He wasn't just cured, but instantly cured. He didn't need months of intense physio and rehabilitation, and then after some first tentative steps with a walking frame gradually slowly gaining more and more strength in his legs building up his muscles learning to balance he'd never done that before none of that laborious intense hard work over months and years end of verse 7 instantly his feet and his ankles became strong now health professionals here you can tell us this was beyond medicine it was a miracle And crucially, look with me at verse six. The problem wasn't solved with money. Peter and John didn't have any money. And that is very telling because in this crippled man, if this crippled man is a picture of the broken world we live in, we do need to see verse six very clearly. So often when we look at the problems in the world, we do think that if we throw enough money at it, we can solve it. That is often the issue in politics. If we had enough money, we could solve the problems in education and the health service and deal with the steel industry in crisis and deal with green energy issues and so go a long way to cutting carbon emissions. And if money were no object, we could invest in better transport links that begin to sort out the inequality between north and south. And so it goes on. The issue of money is already a major debating point when it comes to the EU referendum. One side telling us that it costs us millions of pounds every year to be in the EU and we could spend all that money on the NHS. That's what I heard this weekend. The other side says that the money it costs us to be part of the EU brings in far more money through trade agreements. Now, I'm not saying that either argument is right. I haven't got a clue. I'm just saying that money is at the heart of the debate and that's because we tend to think that money is what we need to solve our problems and we don't only think about it internationally but we think that way individually too how much of our own lives are about earning money I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that I'm just saying how often do we think that if we have enough money in the bank we'll be all right we love to save up for a rainy day 
Well, if you're thinking of rainy days, for this crippled beggar, it wasn't just raining, it was pouring. And it had been pouring for years, for 40 years. We're told he was 40 years old in chapter 4, verse 22. You don't need to look it up. So for 40 years, for his whole life, he'd lived in a storm with circumstances conspiring against him. And money wasn't the answer. Peter and John didn't have any money, but they did have the solution, Jesus Christ. End of verse 6, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he did. Verse 8, he jumped up to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Of course he did. He was praising God, screaming, shouting whoops of uncontrollable joy and laughter and sheer delight and in full view of everyone in the temple. It's not very British, but then he wasn't very British. He wasn't British at all, so he didn't need to be British. He'd never walked before, not for 40 years, and so he was going bananas. And his exuberance and the commotion caused such a stir that in no time at all a crowd had gathered to find out what was going on. And the people in the crowd, in the temple, were the people who day in and day out went in and out of the temple. And every time they went in and out, they passed by the beggar who always sat there at the gate. Verse 2, every day he just sat there begging. And so, verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, I bet they were. So what are we to make of all this? Well, read on and see what the crowd were making of all this. Verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we'd made this man walk? You see, very quickly people were coming to the wrong conclusion. As the beggar clung on to Peter and John, the crowd were assuming that it was Peter and John who'd healed him, which was kind of partly true but it wasn't the whole truth so quickly Peter disabused them of that thought end of verse 12 Peter said to them we don't have any special power don't look at us indeed in verse 16 Peter is very clear it was Jesus who healed this man but before we get to that verse isn't the first half of verse 12 arresting when Peter saw this he said to the men of Israel why does this surprise you Why does it surprise them? What sort of question is that, Peter? It surprises them because people who've been crippled from birth and who haven't ever put one foot in in front of another for 40 years don't suddenly get up and walk and jump and leap around. That's why it surprised them, Peter. For me, the surprise in verse 12 is not that the crowd are surprised, but that Peter is surprised that the crowd are surprised. So why is Peter surprised that they're surprised? Well, read on and you'll see why. In short, Peter goes on to say to the crowd, if you think we've healed this man, then of course you'll be surprised and amazed because ordinary human beings don't do that sort of thing. But Peter says to the crowd, and this is the key thing, if you, the crowd, would only take a minute, even a minute to think about everything that's been happening in these last days concerning Jesus Christ, you'll not be surprised at all. 
See verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. That's what's going on here. See, remember, this was all happening just a couple of months after Jesus' death and his resurrection and then shortly after his ascension. That's why Peter says to the crowd, you shouldn't be surprised that this is happening. Remarkable things have been going on. Remarkable things have been going on in Jerusalem in these last few months. It all would have been the talk of the town. Jesus of Nazareth, the man who'd gone about healing and doing good and preaching about the kingdom of God and standing up against corrupt leadership in Israel, that Jesus has been crucified, dead and buried. That was news in itself. That hit the headlines. But then that same Jesus who was dead had been raised from the dead. And the apostles say very clearly that we witnessed that, end of verse 15. And many people, even more than the witnesses, more than 500 people had seen the risen Jesus and not just seen him, but given, been given convincing proofs that he was alive. Some had touched him, others had talked to him, some had eaten breakfast with him. The resurrected Jesus was not just some mirage or ghostly figure. That was the talk of the town. That's why Peter says, why are you surprised that this man has just been healed? You know remarkable things have been happening. That shouldn't surprise you at all. This is the power of Jesus Christ who died but was raised from the dead. This man's healing is all about Jesus Christ, the power he has, the position he holds, the person he is. And that's why Jesus Christ is the, um, the heart and centre of everything Peter goes on to preach. Now, in a moment, we're going to have a look at what uh, Peter does preach, but before we do, uh, uh, note this. Having healed this crippled man, note what Peter does not say to the crowd. I think this is really important. He does not say, now... Go and get everyone who needs to be healed. We'll wait here. Bring them to us in, and in the name of Jesus, we'll heal them all. Now, sure, the apostles did heal many people. Back in chapter 2, verse 43, we read that the apostles performed many wonders and miraculous signs. And then in chapter 5, verse 12, exactly the same is written. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. We're not told how many, we're just told many. So here's a statement in chapter 2, verse 43, and chapter 5, verse 12, which forms a bracket around this section, talking about many miraculous signs. But this is the only miraculous healing that's recorded in this section. Even when many miraculous signs were going on, this is the only one we're told about. And even when this miraculous healing occurs, Peter doesn't say, go and get everyone who needs healing and bring them to us. And I think this is the reason. If this man is a micro picture of the broken world we live in, then the answer to this broken world is not simply to heal broken bodies. It's much more radical than that. And I come to that conclusion because of what Peter preaches because he doesn't say, bring all, your, uh, all those you know who need healing, but he preaches something else. Let's see what he preaches. Looking at the crowd, Peter says halfway through verse 13, 
He says, you handed this Jesus over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Oh my goodness, do you see how courageous this is? Here is Peter, right in the heart of the Jewish temple. And he's pointing to the crowd that had gathered. They were in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. He was pointing to people who were very serious about God. And he says to them, you handed Jesus over to be killed. And not just that, but you see halfway through verse 13, he says, you disowned him before Pilate. A Pilate was the Roman governor. You'll remember him from the gospel writings. Pilate was Gentile scum. Yet, do you see it there? Pilate was going to release Jesus, but you disowned him. So when it comes to the death of Jesus, says Peter, you are more culpable than Pilate, a Gentile. Oh my goodness me, if that's not inflammatory enough, look what he says in verse 14. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Do you remember how Barabbas was released? They exchanged a murderer for, do you see it there? The holy and righteous one. Those are titles only given to the Lord's anointed. Peter says, you chose a murderer, Barabbas, over the holy and righteous one of God. And if that isn't enough, verse 15, you killed the author of life. You killed the very one who gives life itself, the one from whom all life came, the one who gives you every breath you take, you killed him. And the reason he says that is because that is the problem with the world. The world is in the mess it's in because it's rejected Jesus Christ, rejected the author of life. It's like rejecting air. If any one of us said, you know, I've done it with air, I'm not going to have anything to do with air anymore. If any of us said that, we wouldn't live for very long. We'd wither and die. So the very one who gives us life, the world is saying, don't want anything to do with that. And so we're dying. At the heart of the human problem is the rejection of Jesus Christ. And so the solution to the world's problem, you see, is not any of these other things. It's not economic or political. It's not monetary. The solution to the world's problem is to turn back to Jesus Christ. We see that vividly in this poor crippled man. The moment he put his faith in Jesus, his life is transformed. Indeed, he has life. Until then, he barely had life. Now he's got life. You see him leaping around and praising God. And look at verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. And you see, Jesus can give life to a dying world because Jesus is the one who overcame death. That's verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. So as we look at this broken world, we see here the solution, faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter says in verse 19, repent, repent. Verse 19, repent, turning from your own ways and turning to Christ, so that, verse 19, sins are wiped out and times of refreshing will come to you from the Lord. 
Again, isn't that exactly what we saw in that poor crippled man? He was refreshed, running and leaping and praising God. Again, it's a picture of what we all need, of a bright, perfect, whole and restored future. We see in him what the world needs. And so Peter says in verse 20, there'll be a day when Jesus Christ will be sent by the Father. And when that time comes, verse 21, God will restore everything. Do you see, again, we see a little micro picture of that in this man. His life, his body is restored to what it should be. And that gives us a picture of the great hope that Christians have. A hope that, end of verse 21, has been promised through the prophets through the Old Testament. The Christian confidence that God is going to restore all things. That there will be a new creation. New heavens and a new earth. Everything new. All the broken stuff mended. This isn't about us trying to live a better life. That's not the Christian gospel at all. That's not going to change the world no matter how hard we try and live. It isn't about anything else that this world can offer. It's about Jesus Christ returning one day to restore everything. No other solution to the problem of a broken world. And when he comes though, what a world it's going to be. A wonderful new creation. Or just like this one, it's a new heavens and a new earth, just like this one, with all the beauty of this world, but with none of the sadness, none of the sin, none of the sickness of this world. It's a wonderful prospect. And I can't think why anyone wouldn't want it. And I can't think why we who have this hope wouldn't want to share it with everyone we meet. And do be sure, as I close, that everyone does need to hear about it because look at verse 23. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. If we don't listen to Jesus, if we don't repent, come back to Jesus, then we will not enjoy this new creation. We will be cut off. We will have cut ourselves off from this air supply and we will wither and die We will never experience this refreshing and never be part of his fully restored new creation in the future. And so let me say to you, if you've never repented and turned to Jesus Christ, or if you perhaps may, I put it this way, if you can't say that you're absolutely certain of spending all eternity with Jesus in his new creation, will you take some time to consider these things? Pete's already mentioned it, the Christianity Explored course that's happening a week on Tuesday. Tuesday the 26th of April begins at 7.30. Come along with us. Come for one night, see if it's any good. It's worth a look, isn't it? This is what's being offered, the solution to the problem of the world. The solution to your problems. The problem of life just not working as it should of all the things you see in this world, the problem of death that you face. Jesus Christ is the answer. That's the amazing Christian confidence. And let me say to those of us who already are sure of this, Christian here, rejoice in this future. Rejoice in the refreshing good news of the gospel and the restoration of all things to come. We have a great future, whatever it looks like. And Christian, will you be clear from these words that the answer to the broken world we live in is the gospel of Jesus Christ, nothing else. 
So if we are clear on this, and this is where the clarity comes from this passage, we will invest our life, we will put all our energies and our time and our resources into doing what Peter did here. We will do all we can to proclaim this gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who will listen because we know here is the answer. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we sung earlier, God has spoken by Christ Jesus. We thank you that you have indeed spoken to us in your Son and through your Son and now in your Word and by your Spirit. And we pray that uh, as you have spoken to us, that we might respond obediently, praying for those who recognize this broken world but have never yet recognize Jesus as the answer that you would give anyone in that category courage to look into these things and with urgency. And for those of us who already are convinced of this, you'd give us courage to proclaim this message to a dying world, that we would have real compassion on people and on this nation, wanting, longing desperately for people to come to find the solution to a world that is so desperate. Thank you very much that your word is abundantly clear. And we pray now for courage as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.